Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Have you ever just been world weary? Just weary of the world around us. Maybe it's relational problems. Maybe you got conflict with somebody at work. Maybe there's just new stuff that's going wrong. Maybe you're sick of being at home. Maybe you're sick of being on the road. There's just a, you're looking around like, man, I'm so done with everything going on around me. I, I got to tell you, man, I've never been suicidal by any means, but I've definitely had moments where I'm like, this world is nuts. I can't wait until I get to be in heaven where this kind of junk just doesn't take place anymore. Now, sometimes what I really need to do when I'm world weary is I just need to get calm, I need to get still, and I need to focus on enjoying and exploring the kingdom of God because it's going to provide perseverance and power and perspective. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to do it by jumping into a brand new series called Storylines. Storylines is going to be about the major themes of the Bible. And honestly, I don't know that we'll get to all of them, but we'll start with this one. The major themes of the Bible, and, and a theme is kind of, I mean, you guys know what a theme is, right? Like, Star Wars has a theme, you know, it's, it's, it's hope, or, you know, light versus dark. You've got um, Rocky, you know, which is, hey man, you can come from nothing and still be the champ. You know, there's, there's a million love movies where the, the, that's the theme, like pretty, you know, woman or whatever. Well, there are themes in the Bible, and it's kind of like this. I don't know if you've got a shirt or a sweater or something where you found a little a little thread on it, like I did on this, one of my favorite shirts, and you pull that thing, I don't really even see this, and it backfires on you because it goes all over the place. It goes somewhere you didn't know. Now suddenly you got a big hole in your shirt. Um, that has happened to me, and, and in a positive way, we can pull a thread when we're studying the scripture and we're pulling on a theme, and suddenly we start to see this theme everywhere, and, and what's happening? God is communicating something on kind of a mega level. He's saying, hey, this is what I want you to know in a kind of a big way. This is an important part of the biblical story. So that's why we're studying a bunch of themes in this storyline series. We're going to find that God's answer to our world weariness is to explore and enjoy the kingdom of God. And kingdoms is where we're going to start. Hey, you and I are familiar with kingdoms, right? I mean, we see these displayed in movies all the time, right? You've got Asgard. That's like the kingdom where Thor is from. You've got Lord of the Rings like Rohan and Gondor. Um, you've got other, I'm sure, kingdoms that you can think of, the Shrek kingdom, whatever it is. In fact, if you know what the place is that Harry Potter goes to learn all of his wizard school stuff, go ahead and write it in the comments. I don't know what it is, but I, I would understand that as a kind of a kingdom, okay? It's different than the world. Well, there's several kingdoms in the Bible. And we start with the first one. This is the paradise. This is where everything was good. Everything was fine. There was abundance. There was pleasure. There was great relationships. But because humans didn't do what they were supposed to do, or rather did what they weren't supposed to do, God has to bring consequences, and he exiles them into the dark world. And there's effects of them being exiled into this place that is no longer as accommodating as the original paradise. Genesis 3.16 tells us a little bit. As God's bringing consequences, the, he said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What is she seeing there? 
She's seeing relational difficulty, relational estrangement. Even when people are getting along great, ah, you can still tumble into things not going so well. So that's part of what happened in the curse. But then verse 17, and he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed before you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. God says, where you used to have abundance, now there's going to be lack. Because now you're in the dark world. Stuff just doesn't come to you like that. You're not just taken care of. Now you're going to have worry and, and stress out about how you're going to get the next meal. And all that kind of stuff came with the exile into the dark world. Now, of course, I'm using dark world to stand for earth, but that is really because I think it's always important for us to remember this version that we're on, while there's so much beauty and so much good, it is still a marred version. It is not the version that God created us to be. It's the place we've been exiled to. And in this place, the Bible even shows us this, there's lots of other things that go wrong. Okay, so not only is there relational estrangement, not only is there disease, not only is there difficulty with making a living, now there's also forces of evil. There's demonic manipulation. And all of this is a consequence of being in the dark world. Now there's unfair things. Now there's injustice. Now everybody's kind of vying for themselves. And it's causing this place that sometimes we're kind of barely holding together. Sometimes we've got good forms of government that, yeah, that's working, but it never ultimately works because we're in the dark world. In fact, I would make the case that the world we're in right now is more similar to the kingdom of the walking dead than it really is to the original paradise that God has made. Here, man, it's, it's kind of dystopian, right? Everything's breaking down. And, and so the question that the Bible is asking at the very beginning is when it comes to this kingdom, who is powerful enough? Who is good enough? Who is strong enough to be the king and to rescue these exiles? Because here's the problem. Adam and Eve kept having kids down through the centuries. And now we're here, but we're still in exile. And there's got to be a king who will come and set it right and rescue us. And that king is Jesus Christ. And God the Father is getting ready to invade planet Earth with its own king. You know, this idea of kingdom, the kingdom was foretold even as we go all the way back to places like Exodus. God wants to make clear, hey, there's a difference between the people who are becoming part of my kingdom and the people who are still a part of the dark world. God is bringing discipline on Egypt and he tells Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, I just want to make sure you understand. Um, you guys are undergoing all these plagues. My people are going to be fine and dandy because I'm their God. He says this in Exodus 11:7. 7. He says, but among the Israelites, you'll be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you'll know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Tell somebody distinction. Write distinction in the comments. God says, hey man, there is a difference. I separate these two. One is my kingdom and the other is the old dark world kingdom. You know, the Old Testament writers, the Old Testament prophets, they looked forward to a time when God himself would intervene in human history. And he would come through a messianic leader. And that leader would bring peace and justice and prosperity back. He would bring abundance where there was lack. And this leader was Jesus Christ. You know, the kingdom of God was major in Jesus' teaching. He talked about it all the time. You'll see it if you look. 
He talks about it in his parables. He talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about it in the Beatitudes. Jesus wants everybody to like understand, hey man, the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, and it's ultimately going to culminate when I come back. See, the kingdom of God starts in this world and culminates ultimately in heaven. In heaven, it's full kingdom of God. God's will is fully done. Here, the kingdom is slowly breaking in. It's working like yeast through a batch of dough. And Jesus wants us to understand, hey man, um, the kingdom, it feels upside down, but it's actually right side up. This is where instead of demanding other people serve you, you serve them. And that actually causes you to have more favor. Um, this is where, oh, you want more money? Give your money away. Oh, you want someone to love you? Start loving people. It's the upside down kingdom that is actually right side up. The kingdom of God is every place that acknowledges God as the true king. Now into this darkness breaks the kingdom of God. And it's coming with the king. And man, it's gotta be powerful. I'm sure that you've, at some point in your life, you've pulled out your cell phone in the middle of the night, maybe you're getting up to go to the bathroom or whatever, because you probably took your cell phone to the bathroom with you, and it was still on bright mode, and so ah, like blinds you. That's how the coming of Jesus was, I believe, to the kingdom of darkness. Listen, Jesus himself tells everybody, yo, it's now. The kingdom is now. Mark 1.15 says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had said about this coming new level of fullness of the kingdom. He said, out of a stump of David's family will grow a shoot, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Wouldn't it be nice to have a perfect leader? That, not like our politicians had perfect wisdom, perfect understanding and the spirit of counsel, and my spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor, and make fair decisions for the exploited. Hey man, you ever wish like, man, I don't feel like justice is done. Hey, Jesus is going to do full justice. The earth will shake at the force of his word. One breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt, and truth like an undergarment. Now what's kind of fun to think about is that this is the invasion of the true king into his own world. You ever thought about that? Behind me is the door to my garage and my garage is kind of clean, okay? We need to get around to it this summer. But I can remember being a kid and I was at my grandpa's and his garage was the dirtiest, scariest, nastiest thing I can remember. It might be worse in my mind than it really was, but I remember soot and dark stuff all over the place, like motor oil spilled and cobwebs and spiders. And so I want you to imagine a garage like that. I want you to imagine the dirtiest, nastiest garage you've ever seen. Okay, there's stuff everywhere. It's dark in there. You can like, you know, put your, run your finger along something and you'll get dirt on it. There's animals, there's critters, there's cockroaches, all kinds of stuff in there. And in this garage, there's even little mini trolls. These trolls look like humans a little bit, uh, but they're definitely no longer humans. And then comes home the owner 
and the owner brings in, man, this power washer. He's got buckets of suds, and he's super patient. He's just going to start in one corner, and he's scrubbing it down. He's cleaning it off, and it's almost like a contrast. It's like this thing starts to get so clean and so shiny and so bright that there's a difference between this corner and the whole rest of the garage. This is becoming a kingdom unto its own, and it is continuing to spread. In fact, there's a rumor going around in the garage among the critters. Hey, man, there's something moving in. We better be careful. And here's the offer that the owner extends to these people who are living in his garage. Remember, to these folks, they're thinking the owner is invading their space, but it's actually the owner's space. And he says, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to pardon everything you did wrong against me. I want you to defect from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And not only that, I'm going to make you an heir to everything that I have. So not only will you get the entire clean garage, which I'm going to get it entirely clean, I'm going to throw the house in too. You're going to get everything. Wouldn't that be just an amazing deal? Listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but in our story, you and I are the trolls. Okay? And that sounds bad, but according to the Bible, our righteousness itself, like even on our best day, our best stuff is filthy rags compared to the Lord's goodness. And he says, hey man, I don't mind. I want you to join my kingdom. I want to forgive you. I want to polish you off and I want to untroll you. I want to turn you into the human you were supposed to be instead of this, you know, messed up, marred version like you are right now. Now here's what we've got to know about this life in the new kingdom. God says, hey man, I'd love for you to be over here, but I need to change your heart. I need to change you into something new because things that are like you don't belong in a clean place like this. So I need to make you clean and then transfer you into the kingdom of light. And that's what God does for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is going to continue right up until Jesus comes back. Look at the scripture in Mark 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, that's really important. Okay, it's not just the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus is king of will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. God says, I'm going to keep preaching this until everybody gets a chance. I want everyone who's lived in Trollville to make it over into the kingdom of light. I'm going to wait as long as I possibly can and preach to everybody so that they can get in. What were some of the signs that the kingdom of God was coming? It's important to study what was Jesus doing that was bringing the kingdom. Let's check it out. First, everywhere there was lack. Remember in the garden, suddenly there was not enough food. There was not enough uh, you know, you had to work really hard just to scratch away a living. When the kingdom comes, that's all reversed. So where there was lack, now there's abundance. At the feeding of the 4,000, at the feeding of the 5,000, in the kingdom, there's only feasting. So there's plenty for everybody, and there always will be in the kingdom because the king says, hey, we don't have any any hunger in the kingdom, man. There's, there's too much of everything. Everything's great. There's always enough probably the way it really was in the first paradise where Adam and Eve were. But not only was there plenty of abundance, there was also plenty of healing. Every time Jesus would come into an area, he would heal people. And that was a sign that the kingdom of God was coming. As Jesus would heal people, it was the kingdom breaking in to our world. And he was saying, hey, in the kingdom, see, there's no sickness and there's no infirmity. Nobody's like, bent the wrong way. Nobody is having a difficult time. There's only life. 
There's only health. There's not dead things. There's only active things. Even when it comes to the creatures of darkness, the demons, as Jesus would roll into town, the demons would react because they know, uh uh-oh, the kingdom's breaking forth into an area we previously thought we were ruling, and Jesus would kick them out. In fact, he even tells the Pharisees, this is one of the signs uh, that the kingdom of God is here, Matthew 12, 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. My friends, in the kingdom of God, everything is put back together and perfect. There's no evil. There's no death. There's no lack. All there is is joy and peace and righteousness. And Jesus wanted everyone to make sure of that. You know, they were looking for a kingdom that would have a temple. They were used to stuff and buildings that demonstrated this is where God is. And Jesus wanted everybody to know, no, it's not going to come physically. You're not going to be able to say it's over there. Paul clarified this in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. All right, now are you ready for your bottom line? Here it is. The kingdom is both revealed by God and sought by us. It's revealed by God and sought by us. God reveals it. We seek it. Jesus told his disciples one day, hey, I'm preaching in parables and you're beginning to get them because God has revealed to you the secrets through the parables of the kingdom of God. In fact, many of the parables are all about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is different than the dark world. But he says this in Matthew 13, 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And remember, Matthew is using kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God interchangeably. The kingdom is a secret that is to be revealed. It is like a treasure hidden in a field. You say, Carter, why can't I see it? Here's why. Here's what, we need, here's what we need to know and what we need to do about it. John 3, 3, Jesus is speaking to someone who has a lot of religious experience, okay? But he doesn't have a view of the kingdom of God. For some reason, he's spiritually blind to it. He can't see how the kingdom is breaking forth through Jesus. And Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You'll see people getting real excited about it. You'll see people really happy about it, but you won't be able to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now that born again thing, don't think of like a political movement or or party or anything like that. Forget everything you know about that. What that is, is it's someone coming to new life all over again in their heart. It is someone whose heart was deadened by the dark world, and God says, it's time to turn this thing on again. It's someone who's going from a mild interest in the things of God to actual love and devotion and almost distraction with how much in love they are with God. Now, God wants us to know we cannot see it, we cannot find it unless He reveals it to us, unless He makes us born again, unless He gives us spiritual eyes in order to see it. And lucky you and me, God loves to do that. He loves to give the kingdom to His children. And even those who already are in it, He loves to give more of it. In fact, He says almost exactly this. Jesus does in Luke 12, 32. says, Fear not, little flock, 
for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Man, you ever wondered what gives God pleasure? You ever wondered what makes God happy? Well, one of the things that makes God happy is to give you and I more of the kingdom, to give us more understanding, to give us more experience, to draw us deeper into the clean part of the garage. You say, but Carter, why can't I see it? I mean, why does God stay hidden like this? Why does he keep it a secret? And I don't know that anyone knows the answer entirely to that question. Um, I'm looking forward to asking God that when I see him. But I think maybe part of it is we humans don't tend to value that which is easy to obtain. I mean, think about this for a minute. You, you might find pennies in your house, and while they do actually have value, you might even throw them away because they're so insignificant to you. You don't really value too much tap water unless you're in a place that doesn't have a lot of tap water. There's plenty of tap water in most places that we are around. Well, God says, look, I need you to understand that I'm the most valuable thing there is. And he's promised us in the book of Jeremiah, hey man, you seek me with all your heart and I promise you're going to find me. But I need you to demonstrate that you're actually seeking and desiring to be with me because anything that takes a little bit to find, man, you value that. When you discovered that all on your own, you value that way more. But... We have to come humbly. We have to come meekly. We have to come and ask Him. This is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. That means they don't have much spirituality to present to God. If you lined up all the spiritual people, like all the people that are behaving and and trying to do what they're supposed to do, if you lined all those folks up, at the end of the line is the person who's poor in spirit. They're like, dude, I ain't got nothing. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why you'd let me in. And that's precisely why theirs is the kingdom. Because God, God's like, you're right. Yes, I shouldn't let you in, but I will make you right with God because of my sacrifice. This belongs all to you because you have the humility to approach me and say, God, I have nothing. Nothing but the promise of Jesus to save me. And so here's what you and I need to do. We need to ask. We need to ask God, God, would you reveal to me the secrets of the kingdom of God? I know that, you know, many of us, we we know some of them. You know, yeah, I'm familiar with this. Ask for more. God loves to give more of the Holy Spirit. He loves to give more of the kingdom of God, greater insight, greater clarity, greater understanding, even just greater grace to abide in it as we humbly, poor in spirit, just ask Him for it. Well, I know some of us are thinking, hey man, this is all really cool, but how is it actually helpful? How does this help me with the weariness that comes from being in this world? And I wanna give you a few suggestions. Even though it's true, even meditating on the kingdom of God It doesn't remove the difficulties of life, but it can change them a little bit. And this is what I mean. It will give us perspective to see the big picture. It will give us God's presence, meaning Jesus will actually be with us in it. Just last night, I had some tummy trouble. Okay, years ago, I was really sick. And occasionally, from time to time, I get some old tummy trouble like I used to have. But you know what was wonderful about it? Even as I got up and, you know, had to go through that in the chair... Jesus was there with me. He gave me his presence because I was in the kingdom and currently am in the kingdom of God. So I got to see the king, even in the midst of difficulty. And then finally, he gives us his power, his power to go through difficult things or even not difficult things and act more like Jesus would act. 
I mean, think about your relationships. In the kingdom, they instantly become more significant. Anyone who is a Christian, you are instantly connected to. One time I was going on a little trip for a seminary I was a part of long ago, and I met up with this guy in another city. We didn't know each other. All we knew was that we were each Christians. And immediately we had a connection. Immediately there was just like a, a chemistry there. And it was really all based around the fact that, look, dude, I don't really know you well, but I know you're my brother and you're in the kingdom. That's what kingdom-mindedness can do for us. Hopefully it also stirs us up to share our faith more because we're concerned about the people who may not be part of the kingdom of God yet. But what about conflict? What about your relationships? I mean, you know, your marriage, your, your work relationships, your kids. Well, God gives us his power to hopefully act a little more gracious, a little bit more like Jesus. He also gives us his perspective. Because the truth is, here's what's coming with your relationships. For everyone you know that is in the kingdom of God, at some point, you will never have conflict with them again. The bright spot of the garage is slowly taking over and breaking into the dark world, including all of our conflict. There's going to come the day in heaven where... Dude, even your sandpaper people, you're going to love them. You're going to love everything about them. Isn't that awesome? Like, there's certain people that will not bug you anymore. I mean, that's just wonderful. And that's what kingdom-mindedness can do for us right now as we meditate on it. What about just our difficulties? What about, you know, hey, man, there's new bills. There's new stresses. I've got stuff going on. And yeah, that's true. And, and to be sure, God wants us to teach us trust, you know, and faith through that. And, and, and to be honest, we need difficult things to learn how to trust. But there's also the reality, if we'll have God's perspective, that this is almost over. Like, you're almost done, and you're almost to the point where you'll never have stresses again. Like, I know the burden is heavy, but you're going to lose the burden forever. And all you're going to have is righteousness, peace, and joy in the presence of Jesus. It's kind of like, I think about it like, you know how when you're, you're on the way home, or you're maybe somewhere else, but you're on the way, and you're almost there, but you have to go... Pee-pee, and I'm just trying to be non-offensive with my language. Uh, you have to go, number one, and you know that you're almost there. And it's like, oh, you know, you're thinking about, man, I'm uncomfortable. I can't wait. It's going to be so awesome when I'm no longer uncomfortable like this. But I'm almost there, so I know it's going to be okay. It's kind of like that in the kingdom. There are difficulties and pressures and hard stuff that we're experiencing right now, true. But you're almost home. You're almost there where you will never have anything uncomfortable ever again. My friend, you're almost to the culmination of the kingdom of God in heaven. So here's your final question. Where do you need to ask God for his kingdom perspective? Turn to the people around you or in the chat or in the comments. Where do you need to ask God for his kingdom perspective? Talk about it amongst yourselves. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.